This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. Hello and welcome to episode 173 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome Alex Dunham from Hoover. I'm starting to go back. Not to my usual place of the late 90s, but the early 90s and late 80s. Like past guests, he from Rites of Spring or Ian MacKay, there's so many bands I didn't see or know about until much later when realizing the connections with this genre and scene. Look out for a bunch more from this time period that are not talked about enough. One of those bands is Hoover. I'd heard about them, many mentioned them to me over the years, and I'd always had them on my short list of people to get on the podcast. Well, Alex Dunham, singer and guitarist for the band, and I connected in New York City right before the pandemic took hold in early March. It is crazy to hear our conversation have zero of the weight of the conversations happening with our friends and family today. A time capsule for what was before this insanity we're all in now. It's also the last time I did an interview in my apartment in New York City. I insanely miss doing interviews in person because there's so much about gauging an answer, a pause, the eye contact, and the laughs. I'm happy someone captured that moment at my shitty Ikea kitchen table. If there's one thing to do during this podcast, it is take a minute. I let Alex contemplate, take a breath about a lot within this podcast. There's so much to get to with his beginnings in Arizona, learning about punk, getting the fuck out of Arizona and heading to DC, getting signed to Discord, and a story about Fugazi staying at his grandmother's house. We also talk about what he's doing right now with his custom furniture company, Broken Press Design. Hoover should be mentioned daily when talking about post-hardcore and the early 90s in this scene. They are absolute icons, and I couldn't have been happier to have Alex on to tell his story. This is episode 173 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Alex Dunham from Hoover. Thank you for being on the podcast. It's, it's wonderful to be here. Um, Welcome to New York City. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty serendipitous, I think. That's what I was saying to my wife when we were walking over here. Like, All this kind of went down in a week. Yeah, I love it. You just happen to be here. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, quick, because uh, Ian Mackay reminded me to do this every time, uh, state your name, um, so for pronunciation purposes and for posterity. Um, it's not Alex. It's Alex Dunham. <laughs> um, the date? Do I need the date? We do need the date. 
It's March 1st. March 1st? 2020. And we're here in your apartment in Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> and rent is due. <laughs> rent is due. I'm not helping you with that. I got like 20 bucks. <laughs> um, so I didn't realize that you emailed me years ago. And um, do you remember what you wrote? Because I never, I couldn't find it in my email. I couldn't. Do you remember what you wrote? I might have just said, hey, I'm just dropping a note. Kind of not into podcasts, but found yours. <laughs> Been hearing some old pals talking on your thing, and you're doing a good job. Oh, thank yeah, you. Or, or whatever, and sign my name. Didn't know if that was going to be like something like, oh, well, shit, do you want to be on or right. not? But um, not really looking for that. I just kind of had this. I don't know what motivated me, because I normally don't do this, but... I might have listened to something that, you know, moved me in a certain way, like mm -hmm. a, a pal talking, and I'm like remembering the days that that pal was talking about, and I wanted to thank you for, you know, it's like somebody seeing a band and going up and being like, I just want to shake your hand right. and thank, and you know, countless times that happened to me, and I'm like, that's the reddest thing in the world. To, so, you know, trying to keep right. doing that to right. somebody else you know I mean that it's still that we're still talking about this shit this many years later it blows my mind so that's so weird did you like starting getting into music starting playing music that was in Arizona yeah um you know Jesus this goes way back so I I, I have to give cred here to some old time Phoenix punkers and uh, that I met at the BMX track because I raced BMX. Mm -hmm. And um, Scott Holman and Jimmy Griffiths, they, they were older dudes than me at the BMX track, but my grandma loved them because she knew them from racing. Um, they ended up taking me to my first shows and stuff, and I was young. Um, but she trusted them because the BMX track was a community. And right. It's like, whatever, you know. I, everybody was high in that car on that way the show. There's no reason I should be alive. But um, they were just feeding me records. And that's how, you know, I got started really, really young. You know, I'm getting the Fear record and turning my life around. You know, grow up with my dad and he was late 60s Detroit and you know he liked Stooges and MC5 and you know he'd yell at me about playing a Black Flag record too loud and I'm like same shit man right like I I identified it early you know so I'm I'm fortunate that way because I had a good understanding of like true American punk rock hardcore at an early early age and it just influenced me, but I, I was not a musician. My dad played guitar, and we had a pretty volatile relationship. And I really didn't want to be anything like him. I'm almost identical to him now, so <laughs> probably not as much of a freaker biker. <laughs> but um, regardless, you know, like once one of my pals in junior high said we should play music. I'm like okay, 
dad, teach me some chords, you know. So I went to the first rehearsal with um, other buddies in, in Arizona, the Wall Brothers and Eric Astor from Furnace Records. Um, that was kind of my, f- well, it was the band that I did that ended up playing its first show, you know. So that's kind of the first band. Um, and I remember being at practice, and uh, the other guitar player, Jason Peterson, he was like, uh, yeah, so just play it like this. And I'm like, well, what notes are those? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I only know chords. And they're like, we don't know chords. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how we, what do you do? And like, don't, you play this thing that's like the bar chord. And I'm like, but you don't know the notes. I'm like, yeah, just watch my hand. And that's that's how I got started. Wow. <laughs> and that was mid-80s? Uh, 86, 87, um, which is literally the craziest time. So, you know, like I get this introduction of like early 80s hardcore and punk from my other friends, and then these guys are onslaught me with the other records that they know, you know, like late junior high, early, you know, sophomore year of high school, right. whatever. And um, they're, you know, I'm getting these straight edge records. I'm getting all the, like, year before Discord records. Like, Tag Nasty just came out. Age of Quarrel just came out. Crossovers happened. Like, everything is happening. You right. know, And you're just sucking it down you don't even know what to you're just like I love it all and it's all different right I mean there's it runs the gamut it's incredible and you're like I don't care I like it all so you know when I've we've talked here before even starting this about how you got started and really what your main objective is with your podcast but like to me, that that's just a label or a genre, you know. And everybody wants to do that because they want to categorize stuff. I mean, they need to make sense of it. For me, I didn't care. I didn't need to make sense of shit. I just like give me right. all of it. English dogs, broken bones, attitude adjustment, fucking GBH, larm. You know, like mm-hmm. just keep it coming. I just want to hear all of it because. You never heard any of this before, you know? Anything like this. I grew up Arizona radio, you right. know? Classic rock, where you hear the same Led Zeppelin song 17 times a day, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I don't need to hear it anymore. I've heard it 400,000 times right. in my life. And I, like, I if I'm on a job site doing an install for my business or whatever, I'll hear that song again. And I'm like, no, this is the reason. Right. You you check out and you're like I'm done, I want all the weird shit. Bring yeah. it my way. <laughs> and then the was the first band or the I think the first band that's mentioned is Wind of Change. Yeah, right? Wind of Change. People would sometimes say Winds of Change. I think I did that back. I think I wrote down Winds of. Yeah. Twice. Uh, so Wind of Change. Yeah, you know, we did a tour. A tour. A tour. You know, I played a bunch of shows like, a couple times in California and stuff. But um, we did a tour in the summer of 89. I just graduated high school. 
it was a disaster. There was seven of us in this van. It was it was perfectly American punk rock tour. Tour, you know. I think the third day out, our wheel bearing froze, and we lost an axle in <laughs> Gothenburg, Nebraska. Almost got in a fucking gang war with the locals. And then a tornado hit the town that night. You know, like it was a Sunday, like the dealership wasn't open to get our van fixed or whatever. But yeah, I wouldn't trade any of that summer for the world. We played CBGBs that that year, or yeah, that summer. We played The Rat. Oh my God. We played with some killer band. We played with Blast at CBGBs. Wow. And Kevin Seconds was in the crowd. Like, American Standard played. This is ridiculous. Right. This is, like, so... I'm 18 years old. Right. And I'm like, oh, this is how, this is is how this, it works? Is this how it's supposed to be? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just awesome. Well, I think you, you mentioned sort of the, the labeling. I had always thought when I was thinking about emo or even just... It was like, I was into hardcore. I was into metal first then hardcore, sure. then post-hardcore, and then I found this. But it all sort of connected, because when you uh, saw all, a certain Screamo band, real Screamo or actual Screamo, you know, you could tell that they were into hardcore, or they played with a hardcore band, sure. or they were playing we, with... We all loved like, the same shit. It was all... It was just happened to be different sounds throughout the night, right. and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like it needed to all be chugga-chugga. Yeah. Well, Phoenix had a rad scene, because, you know, California bands were always... Split. I mean, it's still six hours, but but it's on the way to Texas. Yeah, it's, it's right. on the way back. So we we saw we saw so many bands, and you know, there you gotta you gotta stop through Phoenix to get to L.A. Right. from the east or the Midwest. So, I mean, but on any given night, you would have like Saint Vitus with Husker Du. You know, like what? Who books that show? Right. But you're Phoenix, and you need to have, you know, you're not, those bands are like, we're in town. Right. Okay, jump on this bill. It doesn't matter. Right. It's not, it's not the hardcore. It's not the emo. It's not, you know, Punk, whatever, whatever. You know, it's not that show. It's bands that aren't on a radio show at this club, which everybody goes to every single night. Right, it's a good way of putting it. I don't want to hear what's on the radio. That's how I felt. I felt when I found the college radio station back home. I I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what is this sound? Yeah. It's not the same eight right. songs or ten but songs. But it also really depended. I mean, I learned this too, like going out to the East Coast early on. It's like really getting in. I, I I'm a huge fan of the history of radio. Um, and then finding these, we didn't have a lot of those independent college radio stations. We had, like NPR was right. the only thing in Phoenix. Once I got East Coast, you got all these college towns, and 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 you know it's like yeah, you tune in, but it's for it two hours. It depended oh, on yeah. who was playing, you know, or what you were doing. I did a little thing with like Greg Foreman in State College, Pennsylvania. Uh, for like a couple days, he had a he had a little gig, and we turned it into a shit show. But you know, we thought it was funny, but right. whatever. But I mean, you know, who's listening? Whatever, you know, me, you might be changing your mind. Or, or I had it where these I found out these high school kids were listening to my college station in in North Carolina because they would call in and they would be like, "What was that?" And I was like, "Oh, it's this band," and they're like playing but on Friday. You're supposed to say. 
You're supposed to say after you play the song. What do you mean? You're supposed to that and oh, before yeah, yeah, that yeah, no, and back before sell, that front sell, yeah, and before yeah, yeah. that. No, I'm saying before but that. they were they were like they had forgotten or or came in oh, okay. halfway through or I front sold it and didn't back sell sure. it. But they I remember one point I picked them up to like go to a show oh, so and I'm like cool. that doesn't happen now like I think I'd yeah. be like picked up by someone else in a in a van and put in the slammer but like they were like come pick us up we're gonna go to the show and That's their awesome. parents and I was the college kid at the radio station yeah. but it, it was that same like they needed to hear it and right. I happened to only be on for two hours on a Saturday right. or a Sunday but they knew right. um, so it's that discovery part when you hear it yeah no, it's a it's it's an amazing thing. Uh, but again, you know, like like anything, everything evolves. So now it's the podcast, and this is what teaches somebody if they fall right. onto it. But the, it's just I like you know, I romanticize radio so much. Like I grew up listening to Ernie Harwell on the AM waves for the Tiger games, and there was nothing like that sound you know driving in the car right there's no fm and you know you're in a 66 whatever biscayne or whatever but uh i i have a love affair with it as well that yeah there's a parking lot that my mom would go to the grocery store and it was high up in vermont and my dad and i would sit in the car and we could pick up fan in new york oh, nice we could pick up 660 sometimes we could pick up um what's the news station in chicago um, it's not WGN. No, it wouldn't be W. Was it? It wasn't WGN. I'll, I'll I'll think WTOP. Oh, okay. We could pick up that. Wow. And we could pick up uh, eight eighty down here WCBS. But we would just sit there and you you know it fade right. in and out. Yeah. You're, you're but, not even doing your like shortwave radio thing. No, right it's there. just AM. Yeah. Right. Um. But you were again. You were outside of your bubble, outside of where you were, and realizing there was something else. Because at a young age, you don't mm-hmm. realize that sometimes. You yep. need that reminder. That's, uh, you know, so we're talking about this radio geekness. Um, it's pretty much what Electrolux is about. The song. If is it? Over. Yeah. I mean, it's all about me. I wrote, I wrote the words to that driving my Ford Motocraft parts delivery through... So I worked for a distribution company that dealt in Ford Motorcraft parts, and we'd deliver to a bunch of dealers. But on Monday mornings, I would do a five-state radius out of Bailey's Crossroads, Virginia. So I'd be all the way up into West Virginia and Pennsylvania and coming back down through, uh, what's that town? What's Patsy Klein's town? Winchester? Um and uh, Route 7 was a main route coming back into Bailey's Crossroads 2. Um, and I got hit by a dump truck one day. And then that w- we rehearsed later that night. <laughs> really? Route 7. So there's a lot of stuff that came out of my like route for that, that job. It was so funny. But, you know, just all I had was the radio. Right. And just... Trying to find, you know, I'd be like, you know, never on the FM dial, just pop songs or whatever. Right. But I'd be just up and down the AM dial wherever I was, and you get the small station, and I would know I'd dial in because, like, for this 50 miles, yeah, I had this weird evangelical or 
evangelical yeah, yeah. station, you know, um, and the guy's voice was crazy, you know, but it's like, I don't want to listen to the content, but I want to hear this guy's voice right. because it's crazy. But yeah, you're, you're, it's that sense of discovery, the yeah. curiosity. Yeah. I mean, it was just anything just to keep your mind off. Yeah. Whatever garbage. Well, or sharp, you know, cause you're actively, you know, I mean, maybe it's a distraction because you're looking for it and you're not driving. Right. But I'm driving, <laughs> but I didn't have a cell phone. Yeah. So when did you? So you, did you move to DC for work? For no, I so <laughs> I thought about this line of question too. Um, <laughs> I so you know we were really active in the scene in in Arizona, and you know after the old timers kind of stopped doing stuff, the young kids kind of took over and you know everything's changing you know from you like we were saying before 85 to 86 86 to 87 like night and day it's like right. a millennial but um you know old guys dropped out got married whatever we started doing the shows so fugazi was starting to come around so we would do the shows and fugazi would stay at my house with me and my grandma <laughs> <laughs> so funny because I remember like back in the back in this era they had uh, Joey the roadie who was great he was the I've got to find out where he is but um, he was just Joey he was rad he loved my grandma so much Aww. and then um, you know she would be like what can I make you guys and you know half of them were like fucking vegan my right right was, like fucking French Canadian from 1924, you know, so she's like meat and potatoes. That's it, you know. Poutine. Um, yeah. Well, I actually know she never made poutine really? ever. Weird. Um, I had to discover that on my own. Um, but yeah, so those guys were hanging out, and uh, I think it was. I know it was Ian. I don't know if it was Gee or Brendan, but both of them were like saying to me, well, you know, I'm like. 18, 19, 19, maybe 20. And they're both like, Hey, you know, Hey, you guys, you guys do a good job out here. We really su support people supporting their scenes. And we really advocate people doing the good things for their scene, but you got to get out of here. <laughs> Come to DC, man. We'll, wow. we'll set you up. Like, you know, what somebody will put you up to, to crash or whatever. And I was, I was already, I had done a couple, yeah, I was 20. So uh, I had done a couple years at community college and all the people in the program, I uh, was really into photography and printmaking. So I was taking all these courses, the community college, I was doing some of the prerequisite, you know, like right. whatever you need for English, college. English, math. Yeah, yeah. Right. But I was also taking printmaking classes and photography classes. And the people in that department I met, um, were all grads of San Francisco Art Institute and they're like you should apply and my uncle lived up there so I was all set to go I like I think I had a grant even on the table and then I in the back of my head was Mr. Mackay saying get the fuck out of here from right. over here so I just said okay and uh, so I, I knew Joe 
I didn't know Fred, but I knew Joe from a tour he had came through with Admiral. Mm -hmm. And they stayed at our house. I think the other band was Separate Piece. So I met all these great guys and I think I met him on the tour before. That's right. that's how when we play like Pittsburgh or Harrisburg or something. But um yeah, so he was already living there. So I went crashed a couple nights at the Pirate House in uh DC. Brendan was living there. I got to meet um Bert Kieras <laughs> and I told him like, "Man, I wrote you a letter for the Great Matter Food for Thought record." You know, he's like, ah, I don't remember, but cool. Hey, and it was like the first and last time I saw him. Wow. Th my entire time in D.C. It was hilarious. Wow. But, uh, that was that first night. And um, yeah, so then I just basically kind of moved into Joe's room after that. And then they were in a band playing and then they would be done practicing. And then I would play my guitar really loud. Kind of weird. Right. <laughs> like. Hey, I'm right here. <laughs> and then finally, somebody's like, "Hey, want to play with us?" So that's how we started. Wow, that's how it started. Yeah. Um, and I think this is an interesting time because I, it's like the Fugazi and those bands were already doing mm -hmm. it, and it was I think a it was like a middle period almost. Like there was like the that moment of Fugazi and then these kind of bands after it and you were just starting. Mm -hmm. And I think if it's house shows, I think it was really experimental. Did it feel that way? Did it feel like... Honestly, you know, I've listened to other podcasts of yours and stuff and I hear people say this, like, and it, it and maybe because it's been said so many times, but you're, you're not thinking that way. You have no, like, outside yourself to look back at it at, in the moment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's no third point, third perspective or whatever. I just wanted to play, you know? So that's what we did. Right. And, yeah, so much shit was happening. I mean... What was some of the... I mean, this is the... It was funny. I was thinking about this with a friend. I was like, if there's a cliche question, it's influences. But I think this one makes sense a lot because no one when, no one sounded like Hoover. Yeah, but no other, but other so, people would argue that. <laughs> but no one sounded like Slint in 92. And I think yeah. what were the counterparts or what were what were those bands that did that and yes people can have an opinion but I'm saying this is from someone just after looking back and realizing that in that epicenter there was that happening so were there well, what well, were some of those initial ones I think when you know like that's a that's a loaded question I mean I could talk for four hours about that question alone um, but I think the simplest way I don't know about anybody else but uh, us four in Hoover we weren't listening to a lot of hardcore at that point. I mean, we were going to shows and we were seeing the bands in our in our scene, scene and the people that would come through. Right. You know, and we had friends and when we play shows, we're listening to the bands, we're being respectful, but like actively, you know, hey, I'm going to drive my car and put in a cassette. That cassette wasn't a hardcore band. That cassette was anything from cool jazz to fucking talk talk to 
African West African guitar players to blue you know what we just I for myself I think by that point I was our when we were fully playing all the time and just inundated with that I needed to escape my thought was if I'm not actively listening to all these bands then I'm not going to sound like them and that became a really big thing for me I really didn't want to be lifting I think early on in the Hoover thing we were getting a lot of Fugazi comparisons and that bummed me out because I didn't want, I didn't want to copy them right I, I, I didn't want to disrespect them by copying them not that I wanted to copy them to be on their coattails or whatever. Right. I wanted to not disrespect them. Mm -hmm. That was a big, big thing for me at 22. <laughs> 22 years old. That's you know. great, though. I mean, to have the... I, I think you, you talked earlier about not having the perspective. I think having that perspective then when a lot of times that was it oh what's happening now how do i keep going but yeah, no but this no. was let me look at something different and add it to this sound because i think from i mean you're always influenced by something don't right. get me wrong i mean you go to a house party and for guys playing a bunch of new material to only friends you know and you're there and you're like holy shit and then you you practice the next day and you're influenced by it because yep. it was so hot and fresh, you know? Or, you, you know, so-and-so just came through and you saw him that night and then you had a rehearsal the next day. Or you didn't have a rehearsal the next day, but you were playing in right. your room. Right. And it's going to come out. I mean, everybody's influenced by something, you know? Like, you hang out in Scotland enough, you're going to start talking like that. <laughs> no, I was in uh, London for just a week. And by Thursday, my emails were starting to use the mannerisms <laughs> yeah. of like the the Brits. Like I, I was, I was like kicking myself. I'm like, stop doing that. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't stop saying right before you start. It's assimilation, something. though. You know, I mean, <laughs> it happens. It's yeah. a natural progression. The 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 so those bands playing uh, in that early '90s, like having the Discord connection. How did that come about? Was that just again they heard you guys were doing stuff and said, "Let's put out a single. Let's put out a seven inch." Uh, I, I, I think he approached us. He's like, "You guys are rad," and you know we had known each other. He had known all of us from our different states. You right. know, like I, maybe he didn't even know Chris, who was in his own state. You know, right or in Maryland, right there. Um, but you know, we all had a. Uh, some semblance of you know uh, relationship um, so when we were playing together I think it was probably like our fifth show in like St. Stephen's basement which was such a rad spot to play was that DC? yeah it was right on 16th at Monroe I think Anyway, the basement shows were so great. Upstairs, I didn't care for. We played upstairs once, but um, downstairs was great. Anyway, because uh, you're on the floor with everyone. Right. You're not on a big stage. Um, and that's how I, I always loved it. Uh, we once There was once a show in Evanston and uh, outside of Chicago um, that Hoover played in. 
I think the Scissor Girls played and somebody else. I, I can't remember, but there was a stage set up. It was a concrete room. It sounded like shit. And we're like, can we play over here in the corner on the floor? And they're like, well, we got to move some of the stuff. And I'm like, we'll just play. Just, we just need a vocal, right. vocal mic, you know, whatever. Run it through the same PA. Just bring the long cord. Just so everybody could be around us, you know. And it ended up sounding that much better. But, uh, yeah, downstairs. So St. Stephen's. Um, and I think we finished the show, and Ian, Ian came up, and he's like, hey, that was great. I want let's to go, – let's go to Inner Ear. Wow. Let's make a record. Wow. Let's, let's do a couple songs, something like that. And it wasn't – it was a split record, but, you know, they financed it. But it wasn't a – it was a half Discord release. And then, um, yeah, that was. Oh, that was that, that, that was, was a three song, Hoover Union slash Discord, right? Yeah, in '92. Yeah, Sidecar Freddy slash Cable, right? Uh, fun songs. Um, How did you pick those? I don't. I think it was our newest material. Yeah, always, right? <laughs> like, like, well, these are our best songs. So the, I, I got to backtrack. So you know, I get in the band, and um, those guys already had like eight songs. Oh wow! Yeah, and we wrote one together, which was the split with Lincoln. Right. Two down. Um, that was the first song that we wrote with me in the band. Two headed coin. Yeah, and uh, those guys are like just keep doing more of this and we didn't ever record any of those other songs wow yeah oh that's huge yeah because we found like to get I mean whatever I'm not taking credit for this it's just no, a, but it's no, a new a person in the band yeah and you know and then I was like oh shit now we're here okay let's continue to be here let's keep going here right and uh but you know we played two shows with that other set It's funny because I never knew I never knew any of the song names. I remember writing us my own set list, like because we after after this early era, we never wrote a set list again. We would always just verbally say, "Hey, let's go this, this, and this," and we never played the same set because fuck that, right? Fuck that. <laughs> and I'm not trying to diss any of my friends that do that. And I know, like, especially older, and you're just. You need to be right. You need to have that routine for your psychosis or whatever. Or the but I guitar could, tech to give you the next right, guitar. Right. But fuck that. <laughs> never. <laughs> I would never ever ever do that. So basically, we. I mean, my whole tenure with playing music would always be like, hey, let's play about four songs or whatever, and then just ad hoc. Because you gotta feel what's going on That's, in front of you, yeah, front. and you know, like skipping ahead when I was in regular watch, we had like forty songs. We could play forty songs any given night, mm -hmm. and we had two separate feeling sets, and that was totally predicated on what was going on in the crowd. Right, if they're feeling the slower things or the quieter things, yeah. you go in that realm. We played at Fireside one night after Lounge Acts the, the night previous, and we were opening for Thornetta Davis, the 
Big Chief band, right. I think, backed her. I'm like, we can't fucking play this balls out hardcore shit. That's gonna ruin. Like, who are these? Right. I mean, half the people there see us, but or not half, maybe a third. Right. And the two thirds is there for Thornetta Davis. And just out of respect for her, we were like, we're just gonna play our weird set, you know? Slow and moody and mm-hmm. whatever, and get it. Warm them, warm them up for her, you know, like like a true opening act should do. I mean, right. that doesn't exist in the hardcore world. You know, nobody's thinking that way. Right. That night we thought that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just not, thought. I mean, not that's have, that's growing, that's maturing in 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 the scene and shit, or not the scene, but as a musician. Right. You know? Um, I mean, then playing playing those songs initially, those newer ones, when you started playing, and were there? What was the response? What did you feel? Like, did you? Feel oh yeah, it yeah, it took off. Yeah, you. I mean, yeah. There was so much electricity, like because we you, don't have the endor- we don't have the uh, uh, endorphins by a phone or things or uh, email. It right. was what, what was it? Just, just you go to pure, the pure. Just whoa, what is going on? And everything's on the table. Like, if if I'm not playing, I'm I'm playing through my equipment. I'm not playing. It's it's the sound that's coming out. Like, it's just sonically and the chemistry in that band was outrageous. I mean, I've played with some good players. um, And I've, I've been happy to write some good songs. That that move, you know. I I'm I'm really critical about something being done or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey man, if I'm not moving my legs or my feet in practice, then this song's not going to be heard by anybody else. Because <laughs> why should why should there be one that just sucks right. just to fill up the time or the space on the record or whatever? I just always felt I needed to be tapping my leg when I played in a band. I needed to make if I stopped, that's meant that yeah. that part wasn't yeah. good. Yeah, and I think that. You know, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful people out there. And then, you know, you're like, wow, I really like this artist, but how did that one get through, you know? Right. It's just like, <laughs> you know, maybe they're not self-editing as hard as as they should. Yeah. <laughs> so the you said the response was great. What were things that you guys were uh, uh, responding to or answering? Was it this tour or making more music or... Uh, I just think the time was about like all I think all four of us were just consumed with making music it was what you want to do it's like a drug addict wanting to do their drug you know we did that and incessantly and uh, and our rehearsals they weren't structured whatsoever I mean they were like sounds silly but jams but we wouldn't communicate and then we would play for like an hour and a half and we'd mutate all of us we might break and be like that was great let's do this uh, 5-4 thing here and whatever you know but um, it's it was the most natural thing I've ever I've ever been a part of you know like it's pretty natural with my wife, <laughs> but that that takes work. 
Hoover did not. Right. I think when you mentioned at the jam, when, um, when I was re-listening to a bunch of the songs, I thought Breather Resist felt like a jam blues-like. That came out of just Joe opening up one day in the, uh, it was a, attached garage to our row house. He just started playing that riff. And that song fell into itself pretty much that way. Right. Just no words. Just went. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been at some rehearsals where, you know, you, you know, after Hoover, I, I, I desperately wanted to play. I was like the first one to be rehearsing with all kinds of, I think it was even playing with Cret Wilson and uh, Jason Farrell at one point too, like, and then, um, but yeah, like I was the last one to actually play a show after. Oh, after Hoover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though I was the first one to be like immediately playing, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, everything else was a lot of work. I mean, not a lot of work, but it just came so easy right. with us. Can you talk about Electrolux? I thought, did, who decided on the horn? Uh, Fred had played horn, um, pretty sure, like through high school or whatever, and hadn't really thought about doing it. Um, I had played saxophone and clarinet, like in grade school, and there was a show. Uh, we were just doing weird shit. So there was a show where I was like, I'm just gonna bring. I bought like a three dollar thrift store clarinet once, and I think I even used the reed that was on it. Yeah. <laughs> Today that might not be so good, but right. um, I just brought it to the show and I'm like, I haven't even played it, and you know, whatever. We were being weird kids, right. so like, halfway through the show, I might have played. I don't. I don't even think I played it, but it was just sitting by my amp, just to be. And I think Fred was like, Yeah, man. Well, I I used to play horn, and why can't I? Why can't I do that? Why wouldn't I do that? Right. You know, nobody's playing horn in a hardcore band. Let's do it, you know? And I, really, it might have even been Jeff Turner, because he plays piano on on um, Cable, when we redid Cable on the record. Um so yeah, he might have been like, yeah, we gotta let's get some other instruments going on. So you know, it was just one of those things like, whatever, do some, anything to, if it don't work, it don't work, you know. But try it. Anything right. to be like, oh, it's not guitar, bass, and drums. Right. And did then you, you know, fast forward to Abilene, and it's like, what? <laughs> did you think that you influenced you know Gravity Records or the Midwest scene with that? I don't. I cannot speak to that. Because that's the sort of, we talked about that earlier, you said I had this sort of like break where you weren't paying attention, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know enough about Gravity, surprisingly. Um, probably, that's a San Diego label? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we played with Heroin once, but I think it was like our second show. Um, and we played down San, uh, San Diego too at the Che Cafe. Che Cafe. Yeah. yeah. That was a great show. Um, but yeah, I don't know enough to make 
Um, All right. How about I ask it this way? Did you, when did you realize people were mentioning Hoover? How long after the band was over that people kept bringing it up or kept saying? Well, to this, to this day, it's crazy. And then, so through my business, I'll, I'll get emails through my business. (laughs) Old timers, you know, like. I never saw you, or I saw you once, and your furniture's great. But I got to tell you the story, you know, and just like how much they loved or how much influence I had. And it's... When did that start? When did you start getting those? Well, um, through social media stuff, I would be getting that stuff from, you know, whatever, 10, 10 years ago. But... Um, yeah, last few years has been through the business, actually. Cause, wow. Because, you know, I guess people search your name and then they find your your website. Right. And <laughs> it's, so I have this funny thing because I have this employee who's like, yeah, whatever, you play music. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I did. <laughs> and then any time one of these emails comes, I just Before print it out. There you go, <laughs> I, I print it out and I <laughs> so. And you know, I, I mean, it's 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 wonderful. I, obviously, it doesn't go to my head. It's just, but it it it's so flattering for people to still have a passion about it. You know, I mean, I do. I'm I go in the shop and I'll play a record from '81. You know, and I'm like dancing around my shop before the guys get there. You know, and I still love it. You know, yeah. some things don't hold up as much when you go back to them. Right. But, you know, there are those special records, you know. I think, too, the, that's what I thought was amazing, that people kept mentioning it. And, I mean, I didn't see you back then. I was still middle school. Like, I wasn't I wasn't cool. Oh, I what's your age? I'm 41. Oh, okay. That's no, not too far removed. Right. It's just, I, yeah, you just, just a missed little, it. Yeah, right. And I think... Um, I did see some bands immediately if it was like 400 years or Policy of Three okay. or uh, with all those guys. right like those that mm-hmm. it, it, right would have been in line and just you know again from not having the internet or being have have to read in a zine or find it on the back of a CD right. or whatever those things were um, I think that's what was exciting about it and to have it still be mentioned um, and I think bands even newer bands today still mention it and yeah I, um, and again, to have Ian sort of say, like, come on out and do this. Yeah. Like, um, that was a great thing that he said. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely took a, a better direction in my I mean, I could have been still wasting away in Arizona, you right. know, for all I know. You Did know, you? A lot of people there that just never left. Right. Just, and, the, you know, the thing is, like, if you left there, you could always go back. It was easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an easy life there. So it's like, why aren't you guys making a jump? Try. Right. right. You know? no. So what about, I just never look back. Yeah. What about uh, the association with the word emo? Did you, when did you guys hear it back then? I mean, I think we were aware of it already, you know, when we were playing. I mean... I think it was being thrown around. And to me, you know, like like I was saying with 85, 86, 87, there was so much different stuff going on in hardcore. Everything. Like, it was probably one of the most diverse times, in my opinion. But I haven't really fully, um, like, microscoped it 
since, but I, I mean, over the last twenty years or whatever. Right. But um, you know, I, I didn't care. Like I said, I, I just give it give it all to me. But um, yeah, we're, we're fully aware of the term. Um, obviously, and I don't think anybody would really own saying that they were trying to go for a sound we weren't going for a sound we were just we were getting in a room and playing and you know at one point I think somebody had said we heard somebody say it like what the fuck what music isn't emotional you know but I think I think a big thing about it is that like when you're singing about personal stuff and not politics or crushing beers or crushing skulls. Right. That makes it emo because you're looking inward and not outward. Um, I thought I listened recently to your podcast with Guy, and I was really, I was pretty, not like fast, what's the word I want to say? I was just really taken with how he was kind of talking about it on the three. I know he actually prepared for the interview. It was unbelievable. Yeah, he was so sweet. No, it was he. Well, he I kind of did too it. because I, of did, listening. I yeah, but, but um, he the but he yeah, knew was, I was going to ask him. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so with that, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I almost feel the same way, except I'm a little later than him. So, like, my first thing is like, what the fuck is that shit? No, that's not my thing. It's like I know what that shit is, but that's not whatever. And then there's the middle period. It's like. What the fuck happened? Right. That that was the main thing. Like, you know, you're talking about the mainstream sort of stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to be associated with this thing. I mean, you know, people would say it to us and we're like, sure. Okay. If that's if that's how you need to right. do it, then do that. <laughs> but yeah, of course we're emotional. Right. Everybody is. Unless you have some kind of disability of social interaction right. you know or whatever but then that third thing that he was talking about I I hadn't even really thought that f- hard about it but it's a thing I mean and that's wonderful what did it connect meaning that it always changes and it's always morphing is that that was his right? no that was no his no that just that um, people are using that term oh, right, right, they're right, right, right. being you know outcasts or you know it's a uh, it's like this is our community whatever if there's bands doing it or not or whatever this is just a people thing you know like this is hey i'm i'm a skinny androgynous whatever they is that the term now i don't i don't even know but i'm so old (laughs) i don't know the correct terms but but you know there's a person in like argentina who's like got purple hair and they're they're identifying with this scene because it gives them comfort because they're being ostracized by their their society you know um it i love that i love that that's a thing for people to go to you know and if i'm in a lineage of that sign me up right i'll I'll put my signature on immediately let's go because that's the same thing of you guys playing. It's like we're going to try this, we're going to do this. There's no, you know, outside yeah. influence. Always, it's not. always, always forward. You know, all the influences, none of the influence, whatever, whatever comes out. So over the years, when you were listed on those, 
if it was the top tens or you know oh, hundred this or who knows. Um, <laughs> do you think it had something to do with? I I I think. I mean, Discord. Yes, the music itself would have lived, but I think also there are labels that come and go. Mm. You know, uh, the if it's you know Art Monk still not around, but like I think that plays into Discord does such a good job with having everything organized mm-hmm. and online or wherever whatever form it was, yeah. and I feel like that keeps that keeps it alive, and that's a that's a huge sure. part of it. Sure, I also think that you know newer hotter bands like the people that are true to their craft know what got them there you know so i think that i think that even the younger people that are looking at those bands are like wow whatever you say is going to be gold and they're like well here you got to go back to here right you know and if you're on that list, you're on that list. If you're not, you're not. You know, whatever. And there's so many different lists by so many different bands. But if a band just takes it all for themselves, and they ha- they're not giving back to where how they got there, mm-hmm. I think that's a disservice. And I also think that it's just not true. Maybe is the word. But I, I, I believe. I mean, you know. We didn't make all that shit up on our own. <laughs> we had songs streaming through our heads that made us play a certain chord or a certain, you know, discordant chord at a certain time or mm-hmm. played in weird time structures. Syncopated or, rhythms. Yeah, you, know, you know, that didn't just come out of our ass. Right. It came from somebody else. <laughs> uh, can you talk about, the, I thought another song when I was listening back was Weeds. I just yeah. thought it was beyond heavy. That's what I wrote yeah, down. Yeah, that was a mean, mean mother. It was dark. That's my favorite song. Really? Yeah. How come? Yeah, it's mean. <laughs> and it was fun to play. Uh, yeah, that's when I started playing a lot of like open F um, tunings. Um, that's a fun song to play. And just doing false harmonics. It was just fun. Right. You know, felt like I was in Quiet Riot or something. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I love like I love melodic and soft, dark. I've always loved the dark stuff, but heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. I mean, I I love metal. I've never played in a metal band, but I man, but I'm going back to '85, '86 crossover era i mean listen everything right i mean give it give me more and i think i have an affinity or a sort of secret love for that era not just because i was getting introduced to so much stuff but this is when the metal kids at high school stopped fucking with me and thought i was cool right it's like you've been a punk for a long time you just (laughs) kick your ass now now hey can we tape trade Right. Sure. <laughs> You're not going to beat me up, right? Right. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Weeds. Weeds is great. And uh, Fred did. Fred was awesome. Like, he, we had a... I mean, I, I, I do have to mention, like, Jeff Turner was the raddest guy to work with. And I, I fully... I'm, I miss that. He, he was, like, the fifth member 
for, for or fourth member when it came to Watts or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he was he was brilliant. And the Watts record, that LP is probably the sonically the most indicative to what I thought we sounded like. Mm-hmm. You know, studio and live, it's always different. I don't know. People tried to get those to be the same thing, but it it can never happen. But my guitar sound on that Watts LP is by far the best I think it's ever been captured. Wow. But back to Weeds, um, Fred was doing a vocal take, and we had a mic in like a 55-gallon drum on its side. So when the break happens, he's like rolling the drum. Wow. Like just We would do this shit all the time, like just little... Uh, most of our live shows, we didn't have hard counts on certain songs and stuff, so we could be a little bit improvised. Um, Come in and out. Yeah, whatever. Vocal cue to bring everything back, you know, whatever. Um, again, based on what the crowd reaction was. So we would play to whatever was happening that day. Right. Uh, another one too. I, I mean, you had a band titled this too, but I thought Regulator Watts having that like syncopated rhythms during it made it really stand out. Yeah, that was a that was a fun song too. That was written down where I'm staying right now. Oh wow! Yeah, it was me on a like thirty hour uh, caffeine bender walking around the Lower East Side. In '92, <laughs> um, that's yeah. It's everything I saw that day. Wow. Yeah. Then I think the makes sense to bring up some of the lyrics because I think other when I've talked to other people about them, it felt cryptic. But were there any? You talked earlier about that they were. You know, it wasn't about chugging beers or mm-hmm. breaking necks right. or um, or cracking skulls. Rather, um, can can you talk about the lyrics? Yeah, I mean, you know. It's like poetry, whatever, you know, it is cryptic. I mean, sometimes some of these songs, they were just written as music. And then we would look at each other and like, who wants this one? You know, like who's feeling that they could put something. Yeah. Like get in here, you know, right. Who, who feels they have the right cadence for this, you know, or, or is this in your register? Nah, we didn't. I know what you mean. But, um, you know, and sometimes it'd be like, uh, no, I got this one, then, yeah, you know, here's the riff, and I got it all in my head. Right. And, um, but a lot of time for me, too, like, I wouldn't actively write down, I would write down ideas or sentences that I felt that would phonetically come out of my mouth in a good way. Mm hmm. But also could be metered to maybe that tune. Um, yeah, I mean, we're all pretty shy about that, <laughs> you know. Like, we never even discussed with each other like what something was about. And you know, you have three different singers in a band. It's like, how do you keep track of everything? You know. Like, so oh, everyone did lyrics. Song. Yeah, yeah, um, and you know. Like, for me, really, it could have been, like, I wrote a bunch of stuff down during a week while driving around on my job, 
and it's all these fragmented things and then it's like holy shit let's just put all these together and they didn't even and then all of a sudden it made sense you know it had its own topic even though it was vague and cryptic or whatever and it's just these good sounding sentences and then it's like holy shit this is what this means so it's Mm -hmm. almost like a subconscious topic you know like you've been thinking about this but you didn't know it but you've been jotting this stuff down and now it's all come together and there it is Mm -hmm. I don't know if many people buy that but I do (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so the I think you did a you did a bunch of music after Hoover though. Yeah, right uh, right away too, and it just didn't take hold. And um, but yeah, we the I guess the next touring band was Regular Watts, but before that, Regular Watts was me and the bassist Cret with um, Erica Casebolt from Circus Lupus, and we were called Mercurochrome, and we played a handful of shows probably only wrote like six or seven songs or whatever but it was great and then she's like ah, i'm leaving town i'm moving to baltimore and she had some stuff going on so we're bummed but then we met a reef actually ryan rapsis from Ufone mm-hmm. um came out to dc because i'd met him uh doing a project called radio flyer with the gauge guys or two of the gauge guys but um he came out and it that was a that was a wicked rehearsal man that would have been an incredible incredible thing but yeah a reef was just just amazing too um you found is if people haven't dived into them i always i always kind of throw them out like yeah well it's him yeah i know but just the band is just the name itself like take a saturday and just like sit for a minute yeah 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 i made i made some once i got to chicago i i think i stayed over his house one night and we did some like four track shit and it was fun we were always trying to get together and make something happen um beautiful human too i love him um but yeah, so Watts, Watts was a f- funny time for me because I was bitter. I was bitter because everybody was talking about Hoover on our tour and I was not a nice guy during those years. Drinking way too much. What years was that? Uh, like 90s. 96 through the end of 98. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in Chicago one night, and um, my girlfriend, who ended up becoming my wife, my first wife, um, she lived in Chicago, so we'd always stay with her. And, uh, you know, we played the bottle, and it, or empty bottle, and it was a rad night, and one of the guys was dating somebody there, too, and... They're like, let's move to Chicago. And I'm like, stop saying this because you guys are having a fun night. Right. And it's easy to say this shit. Don't say it to me. <laughs> like, if you want to move to Chicago, bring it up to me when we're home. Right. And you're, you know, it's Wednesday yeah. and we're at rehearsal right. and you're in your life, you know. And they did. They're like, hey, we're really thinking we want to move to Chicago. I'm like, okay, let me think about it. I need a month. 
because I had two jobs that I loved, and I've been in D.C. forever, right. and I don't, I don't want to leave. But I didn't want to break the band either. But I wanted, I wanted to change, you know? So um, I'm like, I came back, you know, four weeks later, and I'm like, yeah, let's move to Chicago. And I'm like, cool. And I'm like, but at the end of the year, you know, like wrap up. I'm giving six months notice to both of my jobs, Dante, Fernando, um, Black Cat. I worked there. He had been so wonderful to me. I, I, I just wanted to give him all the notice in the world. And then I had another boss that uh, was, she was a sweetheart. So I just, I just wanted to do right by them, right. you know. And then... Uh, you know, two months out from the end of the year, those guys are like, yeah, you know, the one dude broke up with the girl. And they're like, yeah, I'm not really feeling moving anymore. And I'm like, I already made my decision. You know, right. everything's in motion for me. Like, right. this is the last thing I want to happen, but you guys did this. So that's how I got to Chicago <laughs> without a band. Without a band? Yeah. Wow. They didn't move. So we played our last show like uh, sometime in December or whatever. But it was good. We had a good run. It was a great band. Such a great. That's one of the most proudest records of mine. I look at the one I gave you today. Yes. What's the name of it again? Uh, Aesthetics of No Drag. The songs. I love the sounds. I love. I it's just. I love that record and playing I remember playing those songs now it's a mean record like there's some mean songs and I love that but I was also not like again not in a good spot not in those a good years. spot but yeah then I moved to Chicago and fully took two steps back and actually was in a band that lasted longer than two years Abilene right yes yes and you were working too. This, what, what kind of stuff did you find when you got there? How do you mean for jobs? Oh, um, somebody, a friend of a friend, was like, "I know this old punk rock guy in a band called the Geezers, and uh, he's a carpenter, so you could probably hook up with him." And my dad was a framer, um, mechanic before Detroit died, and then went west for the like '80s California boom. Frame, uh, building boom, but um, I, I, was, I was handy enough. I would build like all the lofts for all the bands in DC and their vans. Um, so I was competent enough, but I worked for that guy for like two years, and I'm like, I'm not working for anybody ever again. <laughs> I'll just work for myself. So I've been doing carpentry and slash furniture making for since since '98. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, a couple reunions here and there with the Hoover shit. And 97 was one, right? Uh, 97, just oh, no, for the record. No, you just did an album. Just, just the, the Right, record. right, right. But 2004. Yeah, but uh, 97 uh, was just because Juan was like, from Slow Dime, wanted to, you know, we, we hadn't recorded our last three, four songs. Three? Is that five? Yeah, four songs. So he's like, we got documentation you know so we went in and did that again with Turner Jeff Turner that was a great session too um, but yeah 04 I don't know how that really came about it was a blast 
probably the best shows we've ever played. Not maybe performance-wise, it doesn't matter. They're probably equal, but we got paid. <laughs> not much, but it was a proper tour. Proper you know, tour. we like right. we got paid for our flights. We got we got fed those nights. We <laughs> didn't have to pay for our own beer. You know, right. like that was that was wonderful. <laughs> Didn't come home fully broke, but still didn't make any money for the time that I was gone. Right. So, in my mind, that's a success. That feels like a good uh, cap to yeah. it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And 08 was great just because it was the big fest, and then we played the underground again in um, in London. Or under, what's it? Underworld in uh, Camden? Underworld. Yeah. If, or they'll yell at us while they're listening. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that show was absolutely fabulous and just lots of old friends and yeah but uh, I think we did a couple after 04 in the states I, like I think we we were playing DC and it was a huge snowstorm that night and um, but still packed you know but a lot of people didn't make it down because they turned down the turnpike that oh wow that night so there's a lot of jersey kids coming down or whatever um or guys not kids anymore i still say kids yeah, yeah. well if there if there are guys they're guys <laughs> um back in the day they were the kids yes um but uh yeah so we rebook uh did a another show in baltimore to kind of like be like hey we're playing again for right. you guys who couldn't make it you know and like Hardly anybody came. It was a weird night. And, uh, and a, I mean, that was, I think it was 04. It was right after okay, that. So first 04, tour. Okay, so 04, okay. Yeah. And then we played, I think, Mac Rock. Yep. With, I think, Sano played. I have all the flyers over there or books from it. We'll, I'll go find your, we'll go find your name because I, I should have done that before. Um, but yeah, that seems like a perfect spot to play. Right. And that was pretty good. But it, we felt a little disconnected. I remember feeling that way. I'm like, <sighs> that was again. Those years is when it did start to just. There was a almost like a amnesia for what was before. Right. And either I mean, it was timing for people with jobs or kids or sure. graduate, whatever. You know those like transient times. Mm -hmm. There's, it it that felt that that if a band did come back, it wasn't like. They were ready. It wasn't like people were ready. Right. I don't know. You know, I, I had been so removed by that point. Right. Well, I mean, no, maybe not. I mean, I was still doing Abilene, but, you know, it was mainly like small one-week tours and, right. you know, local gigs. But and we weren't playing like really, really big shows. So I guess, I don't know, I just... I don't know. I don't know if I felt like I was disconnected with the guys or with the show or all of it in general, you know. Do you or think just that just not, happens? Do you think that just also, happens? Also, my son was about to be born, so I might have had a full-on weird disconnect, like, right. what am I doing? Why am I still doing this I've kid, got, I got kid game I got thing? Yeah, well, i got to be a dad. Right. What am I doing, you know? Although I don't believe that way anymore. I mean... My son, like, interviews me all the time about all this stuff. Really? So, yeah. He's fully... 
He's fully in. I mean, he, he doesn't like all of it, but... Does he understand it? Yeah, he's fascinated by it. It's also the most brilliant human I've ever met. He's... I can't believe it came from me. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. I mean, for the to have um, them him be interested. Yeah, it's cool. He was talking to me the other day. Oh, it's right. What did he say? No, he was just asking. Like, so, so when when you were when you were in Hoover, like, how did it feel? And I'm like, I don't know. How do you feel right now? I don't. What do you mean? He's like, but people still ask you about it. And I'm like, yeah, it's wild. And he's like, yeah, that's crazy. How, how is that after, what, 30? What, 92? 20, 20. I'm not good at math. 28 years? 28 years. There we go. <laughs> 28 years? Jesus Christ. I think it's also that they're, He's still around to talk about it. You know, these things are people do. You know, there's things that happen. There's you know, what's surprising to me though is how fast everything moves now, and the attention spans. That. And then we're talking about this. You think all this shit would disappear? You know, like, who cares? What's the next thing? Wow, what? Where's the next Starbucks? You right. know, like whatever. I, 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 that's what blows me away about it because we're so not connected but we're so connected you know what I mean mm-hmm. that how do people still remember this stuff or even the like when a young cat comes up to you and like your band changed my life I'm like you never saw us play right <laughs> you know like I, I was like fuck the records man if you never saw us play and you, you never got it you right. didn't get the real Right. thing you know because um, I mean at, at the end of every single one we were absolutely everything was everything was left there if we didn't do that we felt like we cheated everything cheated ourselves cheated the people that paid to get in cheated the people that gave us a place to play cheated if we didn't leave it all on it. all of it out like pulling your soul out of your mouth and leaving it on the floor. That's how we did it every night. That's the way it's supposed to be done. That's perfect. Anything else you want to mention? Uh, thank you. Cool. <laughs> Thanks for taking time out of your sure. New York Oh, yeah. no, I mean, what else am I going to do? <laughs> I'm going to go drink some beers now, but... <laughs>